Lord, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, and uh, we're going to be talking about verses 50 through 58 uh, this morning, and uh, I just wanted to do a little bit of an understanding concerning faith before I get started. Many of us have uh, faith. You either have a little faith or you have much faith, and our desire is that we would increase in faith, and so What we're talking about here in this particular passage is those that would have their faith increase. Let me explain. Is that uh, it takes a little faith uh, to get saved. Um, uh, It's pretty simple. Uh, I think a little child can understand their need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, a lot of times we're saying, well, it's so hard, I don't understand. You understand, but you're having trouble with your will. Yes. Uh, your will doesn't want to yield to the God of heaven, doesn't want to be in submission to God. And so um, to understand a little bit more of this particular message, um, I want to give you five things that will help you to deal with this pandemic, uh, through the COVID-19, staying the course personally through the difficult times. And the first thing is that you must be born again. That's the first thing. That's the basic baseline. Um, Being born again is pretty simple also because we're talking about being born from above. We're talking, you know, you have already had an earth birth. That's obvious. Uh, Everyone that I talk to, almost every person that I lead to Christ, I always say that. You can go home and you can find your little feet on a birth certificate that earth birth took place. But there has to be another birth in your life in order to see the kingdom of heaven. In fact, Jesus was telling Nicodemus this. He was a ruler of the Jews. He had a a status. He had degrees, perhaps. None of that will get you to heaven. There needed to be a faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ told him, you must be born again. And, and then it said, and he went on to say that if you're not born again, you will not even be able to see the kingdom of heaven. There has been times where people have said, well, I, I, I died and I went to heaven. And they come back and they say, this is what it was like. I, I don't disagree with them, but I'm real careful with that because unless that person has been born again, they will not be able to see the kingdom of heaven. And so heaven is for those that have been born again. Not just those that had an earth birth, but a spiritual or a heavenly birth in your life. And so if that's not taking place, that's the missing link. You, sometimes you feel like you don't fit in. Sometimes you feel like you don't really understand and you don't really have the Lord here in your heart. You're trying to get it in your head, but there's never been that time to be born again. So I'm talking to those mainly this morning that have understood the need of salvation, and, and you've received Christ. Many times I've talked about how that little faith is down here where, where you've trusted Christ. You realize that you're a sinner. And, and we talked about this in Sunday school, that there is a need for us to agree that every man is a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. You know, not just a few people. And, of course, when we know we, we've sinned against God... We ask God to forgive us. Um, in the office on Friday night, the young man did that. He asked Jesus to forgive him, asked Jesus Christ to come into his life, asked Jesus Christ to accept him. My neighbor, 93 years old, just a few months back uh, in the hospital room, uh, came to that place, a good Lutheran man, but he was not saved. And he realized that that was missing. And he put his hands up to his face and he said, Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Now I accept you, I receive you into my life. Would you forgive me of my sin? And uh, he was basically on his deathbed at that time. He's still alive, he's doing pretty good. Uh, up the road from me now, my neighbor. Because he trusted Christ as his Savior, a couple of ladies from our church went in and sang for him, and he was so blessed by that. But that takes little faith. And then there's another step of your faith, and that's sustaining faith. So there's saving faith, but there's sustaining faith. Faith that you actually have, and I've taught you this before, that every person needs to have sustaining faith because you are going to have troubles in life. And to be able to sustain uh, and, and continue on for the Lord, 
you need faith that God will see you through, and he certainly will. You know, I've always said that little faith will get you on the ship, but then during the storms of life, then you have to have that sustaining faith so that you would be able to continue on to stay the course. Then there's serving faith. That's another level. So you understand that when we're talking about this passage is to the church at Corinth, and Paul is instructing those that they would stay the course, that they would continue to be steadfast. I love the verse. Look at it again. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain, uh, is not in vain in the Lord. And so I love that little phrase at the end, in the Lord. And so we know that we are in Christ. And so anything that we do to serve him, maybe that's something as small as putting something in the offering plate. That That's serving the Lord. That's serving him, coming in and giving bulletins out or taking temperatures or helping clean up. We've got the master of cleaning with us this morning, Aaron Getsky. He always is there to serve and be able to help others and, and, and get this all taken care of. Care of. I was in the office uh, Friday night. I came out to help. Uh, I did instruct some to move a piano, so I was able to do that. I instructed them. I uh, was not able to help them because I wasn't busy, but they took care of all of that. What a blessing that that is to the pastor. But I just want to talk to you because as we sail through the Christian life, we often find winds that blow our way, and sometimes those winds are coming to help us, but sometimes they come to hinder us. And uh, so I want you to know that uh, this, this is difficult right now because of, of wearing the masks and taking care of our, all of our things. we got a social distance and all of this stuff. It's been very difficult for the Christian to go along with all of this, um, especially if you're involved with people and you want to see them come to the Lord, and you want to see them instructed. But this is what life has for us right now. And so oftentimes these things come maybe to to put us in a different direction, or maybe they actually will help us in the area uh, of learning some things, but sometimes they come to hinder. They push us back sometimes. Winds are always there. I remember when I was a young man here in Madison, we decided that we were going to um, put our ice skates on. It was the winter time. And uh, we took some one-by-twos, and, and we nailed a sheet to the one-by-twos. And so uh, we, uh, we, we thought it would be fun to go down on, the, on, the, on Lake Monona and hold that sail up on those one-by-twos and let that sheet take us across the ice because it was a windy day. And so we got down there. We walked all the way. I think maybe, maybe even we walked on our ice skates. I don't know. Uh, but we got down there to Lake Monona, and we were able to hold up the little sail, and uh, boy, did we start flying, my brother and I. It was so fun. We lifted up kind of high, and then we looked up straight ahead after about maybe five or ten minutes of soaring across Lake Monona. There was open water ahead of us. And so we thought, well, it's time to take the sail down. And then I realized I had to walk all the way back. That was the bad part, too. But sometimes winds will take us to places that we, we don't want to go. But that's part of life, doesn't it? There's, there's, there's night and there's daytime in life. And so we have difficult things that come along. Ship navigators will often adjust their routes according to the winds and be able to, with their sails, adjust. And sometimes the pilots, if you're in a, if you're in a plane and you're flying along, and everything's going really smooth. I've done a lot of flying, and and uh, my, my worst flight was coming into Madison after being in Indianapolis, uh, preaching down there at a Bill Gothard uh, place down there years ago. And I've flown a lot since then, but this was the worst time. I'll, I'll remember. I'll never forget coming back. They they did did well with me. Were able to get everything done on the plane. I read a bunch of letters from the young men that wrote me little nice letters. I got them all in my office. Still, I used to go down there preach seven times in two days. I think I went three times a year for a while. But I was coming back into Madison one time, and they were circling Madison for some reason. They said, the storm is so bad, we're going to have a hard time landing. And boy, did they have a hard time landing. And I'm trying to be cool, because I was a Marine, right? You know, and so Marines don't get upset, so I'm sitting in my chair. But I'll tell you what, when we went up, and my head almost hit the top of the, uh, top of the uh, luggage rack, I was a little concerned, especially when the woman behind me starts bawling. Wah! And she's out of control. I'm thinking, 
something might happen here. And then we hit it again and again. And sometimes they, they would take up and he said, I'm going to have to try a different angle. And he came in and finally we were able to land the plane. Sometimes I'm, I'm over the ocean, you know, 750 miles an hour, 30,000 miles above. And all of a sudden they say, "Woo!" you know, you felt that little bit of a, you know, and so they, we're going to have to set our sails a little bit different. We're going to have to change the plane a little bit. We're going to have to go a little bit lower. We're going to have to go a little higher. We're going to actually go around this turbulence. And sometimes life is like that. But to be able to stay the course is absolutely essential. What is your goal in life? Do you have a goal? Do you, do you know your purpose in life? To be able to continue on that road, sometimes we have to make adjustments. Pilots will elevate or depress the plane in order to bypass the turbulence in all hope of staying the course. Winds come sometimes to distract us from the real purpose of life. Winds may come to try to discredit you from the position where God has placed you. And the winds come sometimes to, to depress you from the peace that God wants to give you internally. And I, I remember years ago, I was with a, a fellow that was, um, he, he retired or he left, he resigned from General Motors and he went to Northland Baptist Bible College. Um, his name was Jake. And Jake and I would come to work together. He was a little bit older than me. And I was older at that time. I think I was 35 at that time. I think he was probably 40 or so. And uh, he just wanted to go on to the mission field and he believed that God was leading him to go to Russia. Um, Jake was a good friend of mine. We were able to get a lot of drywall done. On a particular day, we were drywalling. And he said, I really believe that God has given me something to do. But sometimes I have problems, he said. But I don't look at them as problems, Dean. I look at them as projects. That God gave me another project. That he saw, he saw it was sufficient for me to have a, another project to deal with, not a problem. And so if we look at our problems really as projects that God has allowed us to have, it just seemed to be a little bit better to be able to get through them. And so sometimes these projects or problems will often provide us a great opportunity to be able to serve the Lord in a better way. I really believe that I I never wanted to go on the air. I never did. I I didn't really want my my sermons to be taped. And here we are today. We're on Facebook and I'm I'm here. (laughs) Not really willingly, but I'm here. And so that was part of it. But see, when we have problems and difficulties, sometimes we have to know that this is perhaps an opportunity for us to reach more people for Christ. And maybe somebody at home today would be able to participate in the opportunity, something that I would call a problem. God has actually turned it into an opportunity. Amen. And so it's a project and not a problem. I think sometimes we look at problems or projects, they increase us in our spiritual maturity. Did you know that some of the most sweetest people have had the most difficult things happen in their life? If you sit down and you talk to people, everybody has their story. My goodness, dear friends. Grace Baptist Church, can we get my story out there? The, the, people need to hear your story, don't they? And so take your story and put it into a five-minute video. It would be wonderful so people could hear about how you got saved. We need to do it. I'd like to do a hundred of them and put them on our website so people could hear your story. You sit down next to somebody on a plane or on a bus sometime, and you're talking to someone, maybe in a restaurant, and pretty soon you're starting to hear part of their story because everybody wants to be able to hear from you, and you want to tell your story and so maybe you find somebody and say, man, this person is really sweet. They're so gentle. That's because they probably have had a lot of projects in their life. A lot of difficulties came their way and they were able to handle them with God's blessing and continue on. And so problems really come and projects come. But I really believe they also prove our integrity during problems and difficult times. What are you made of? Do you have a little faith? And then... You don't have the sustaining faith to continue on. Well, that's something that when problems come and difficulties come, how do you respond to them? Can you stay the course that God gave you? Do you keep your eyes upon Jesus? Do you see him at the end of your life greeting you? Then, dear friend, take your problems and turn them into projects and realize that if you continue on to be steadfast, and always abound in the work of the Lord, he will bless you. Just stay the course. I think it's interesting to also to understand that sometimes projects or problems produce a better sense of dependence upon God, doesn't it? 
And sometimes the problems come. And uh, I know years ago I was back home from the Marine Corps and, and uh, I had a hard time sleeping at night. And I, I didn't know what to do. Sometimes I would, I would lose my train of thought. Sometimes I wasn't as sharp as I needed to be and found out that there were some repercussions of being overseas. And I, I couldn't really put my thoughts together. You know what it did? It caused me to depend upon the Lord even more. And all of these years, I pray to him Sunday morning. I pray for every one of you. By name, I pray for my wife and my kids. I pray for every one of the staff members of our church on the way here Sunday morning. Every one of the Millers I prayed for today. Every one of the Marinos. And every one of the Howell family I prayed for today. Specifically. But I pray this, Lord, help me. I depend upon you today, Lord. Projects or problems, whatever you want to call them, will help us to be able to depend upon the Lord even more. Problems prepare our hearts for... Ministry, I really believe that. And so we can't shy back. Uh, I'll say this, for adversity, people seem to be able to stand it. And that makes uh, more sense than those that have a difficulty that can't stand during prosperity. Because prosperity is a wind also. And that wind may affect you in another sense to take you away from what God has called you to do. Prosperity isn't always good for you. And God knows that. That's why he tells us to be content in whatever state we're in. Even if they have a state mandate to wear a mask. And so a little boy one time was with his mother, and they were walking through a park, and the wind began to blow. Pretty soon the leaves began to rustle a little more than normal. The sky became dark. The branches began to whistle and blow, and some of them fell in front of the boy. And the boy looked to the mom and said, I wish they would just take these trees down so that it wouldn't be a problem when the wind blows. You know what? Life sometimes allows us to look at things differently when the wind comes. And I really believe that God needs to continue to give us problems and projects at time to help us. Because also when we're talking about these trees being removed, if godly people are going to continue to stay the course, it's going to take a vision to do so. And that vision must include an active face. I want you to look at your Bible, if you would, again. That particular verse begins by saying, therefore, in verse number 58. And I'm going to refer to this verse more than I will the rest of the passage. And I could be preaching on anything, really, this morning from this particular passage. I could talk about death and how God has taken the sting of death away. I could talk about the rapture of the church. I could talk about that. But I want to talk to you about staying steadfast. And I want to give you five things, uh, how to stay, stay the course during the p- pandemic. And, and, and it, it involves five things. The first thing it involves, I really believe, when it comes to the word therefore, a firm belief in the resurrection of the dead. So we must come to the place of believing this truth. We know that the Bible's actually mentioning it in verse number 51, where he says, Behold, I shall show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now we see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 also, because it gives us an understanding of the rapture of the church. But this is why he's referring back to that, therefore. So if you really believe that there's going to be a resurrection, if you really believe that there's going to be a rapture, then therefore, stay the course. Because that rapture or that resurrection gives us the opportunity to be able to rest and know that God is in complete control. Therefore, because of these previous facts that were delivered earlier, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Barnes says this about it. Therefore, my beloved brethren, in view of the great and glorious truths which have been revealed to us respecting the resurrection, Paul closes the whole of this important discussion with an exhortation of that firmness in the faith which ought to result from the truths and so glorious and from the hopes so elevated of these truths 
are fitted to, Im- to impart, the exhortation is so plain that it needs no explanation. It so obviously follows from the argument which Paul had pursued that there is little need to attempt to force it. It's interesting because he's talking about the resurrection and bringing that truth of the resurrection in place and helping us understand that there's going to be a resurrection someday will help us to be able to stay the course. Well, over 300 verses concerning the resurrection are just in the New Testament alone. We are told that this event is a sign for unbelievers as well as it is for believers. And it will help us so that we do not doubt as much. It's, it's, it, it serves as the guarantee that Jesus' teachings are true and that is the center of the gospel of Christ. The resurrection is the power of evangelism. It is the key indication of the believer's daily power that we know that the same power, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in our mortal body and we too will be raised incorruptible someday by the spirit living within us because we have been partakers of the Holy Spirit. He lives within us and the reason for that total commitment is there that we would say, yes, Lord, yes, have your will and have your way because... We know of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection even addresses the fear of death. I talk about this often when I go into a nursing home, or I, I go into a, a funeral home, I'm sorry, not a nursing home. Uh, I haven't been in one of those for a while. But when I go to funeral homes, then I'm, I'm able to give a, a small dissertation or a small devotional to those that have died. And I talk about how that, that Jesus Christ has taken the fear of death away, but he's also taken the sting of death away. And the way I illustrate it always is with a, a wasp. Now, I don't like wasps. Do you? Wasps freak me out. They just look weird. You know, even bees. I, I, don't, I don't like them. When they come, it's not like, a, oh, there's a, there's a bee. It's like, ooh. That's the way you do it, too. And recently I was on a lift and I was probably about 30 feet in the air and I was taking care of the part of our house on our log home and there was maybe five different little places where they made little nests in there, you know. And so I had this high-pressure washer and I would spray it really hard first. You see all little stinking things, you know. And, and sometimes they would fall down. The, 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 their little houses, their little cones would fall down near me and I would kick it off the, off the lift. I don't want them near me. And sometimes I'd be just painting away after I got done pressure washing, and also they'd come looking for their homes. And I was like, get out of here. You know what I'm talking about. But if I was to collect five or six of those, and I was to put them in a jar, you ever have bug kids? Little kids like to get the bugs. They get these little weird bugs, and they say, look what I found, Mom. And they put them in jars. You ever see these bug kids around? Yeah, that's why they got creepy crawlers. You ever remember that? Come on, folks, you've got to help me out with the sermon today. Creepy crawlers, remember that? You'd put little rubber stuff in there, you squirt it, and you heat it up, you put a little light bulb in there, and then it comes out rubbery, and you put all different colors. Wow, look at this one, psychedelic spider, you know? Yeah. But if I was to put them bees and them wasps inside of a jar and close it and bring it in here, and if I took that jar, and if I came over and I was to take it and I was to throw it at you, you'd be like, ah! Even the guys would be running. It's hilarious. I think it's hilarious. That's the howl in me, maybe. But if I took the time and took every single one of them out and I took a tweezers and I pulled all their stingers out, I have five wasps in there, and I collected 20 stingers. And then I was to take it and throw it, and you wouldn't be afraid because they have no stingers. That's what this passage tells us, that Jesus took away the sting of death. Pray for Linda Keanu. She's in a grace right now. They got her there for a few days evaluating her. And maybe she's listening today. Linda, we're praying for you. But you never know when the Lord would call you home And you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. The sting of death and the fear of death has been removed. The resurrection of Christ 
ought to bring us to the place where we're content and calm enough to continue on even during a crisis like this. I have to repeat what Jerry Rood said recently. He said that Pastor Dow said at one time, don't scare me with heaven. What happens if we all got COVID-19? That's a terrible thought, unless you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you can rest and know that this time on earth may be so small, but there is an eternity in heaven with the Lord. And so what we do down here, because of that understanding, is we continue to, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Are you laboring for the Lord? You say, I love you, Lord. You truly do. If you truly do, you'll labor for him. Because love labors. Faith works. We understand that. Um, And hope gives us patience and perseverance. But love labors. So understanding that this resurrection is upon them and will take place will help them to continue to stay steadfast. In one of the lighter moments, Benjamin Franklin penned his own epitaph. He didn't profess to be a born-again Christian, but it seems he must have been influenced by Paul's teaching of the resurrection of the body because he wrote this, the body of B. Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out, and script of its lettering and gilding, gone, lies here, food for worms, but the work shall not be wholly lost. For it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more perfect edition, corrected and amended by the author. Staying the course involves understanding that there is a resurrection. The second thing I really believe we see in the text here where it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. So we're talking about being steadfast. We're talking about being... So the second thing is being grounding, grounded in the truth or grounding yourself in the truth. And, and I put the word grounding here because it is a continual thing that we need to do. Is, is Sometimes we can get to the place where we can say all the books of the Bible. We know what every single book of the Bible is talking about. We have all of that to consider. And, and, and all of that may puff us up in the brain. But it may not help our hearts until we know that God wants to continue to use that in your life continually. I sit down with some great people. I think of Brother Edmund Rowe and how he can actually give me sermons he preached years ago. And they are all alliterated, you know. It's just like boom, boom, boom. And he has all of this. But you know what? Even Brother Edmund Rowe needs to every single day grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what it's talking about. Grounding. Continue to ground yourself in the truth. Be steadfast. Not turning aside from the faith of the resurrection yourselves. And so it's talking basically about you when it's saying, be ye steadfast. Be that person that will always believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Be steadfast means to be seated. It means to take a seat, to be settled, to confide in the truth of the doctrine of the resurrection and everything that pertains to it. It, it, As confidently as a man sits down in a seat, like knowing that that chair will hold him up. He knows it is solid. He knows it is firm. He knows it is safe. So that's what the Bible's talking. Be ye seated on the resurrection. Here's where I sit on that issue. Jesus Christ came out of the grave bodily, alive. And they couldn't find him. Do you know why? Because he wanted you to follow him. Not just to his death, but also to his resurrection. And you have the opportunity to do that today by saying, I'm going to continue to be steadfast in what I believe. Barnes goes on to say this about being seated. Sedentary. I didn't know what that word meant, so I looked it up. It means a person tending to much seating. Somewhat inactive. Perhaps with an illusion of a statue or perhaps to wrestling and to standing one's ground. Whatever may be the illusion, the sense is clear. Be firm, strong, confident in the faith. 
in view of the truth that you will be raised up someday. Be not shaken or agitated with the strifes, the temptations, and the cares of this life. Be fixed in the faith. And let not the power of sin or philosophy or the arts or even your own soul seduce you from the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So not turning aside from the faith of the resurrection for yourselves. The verb tense, keep on being steadfast yourself. (laughs) It's important that you would do this for the sake of others. Not just for your own disposition, but there are people watching you. Look at that person. You know what I thought years ago? When the Bible says, strengthen the brethren, remember when Jesus was talking to Peter? Strengthen the brethren now. After your conversion, how do you strengthen the brethren? Do you say, here, lift up these weights here. Memorize these verses. You know, how, how do you strengthen them? I think the best way you can strengthen the brethren is just be faithful yourself. Be where God seated you. Stay steadfast. Believe in the basic truths of the Bible and continue on. We'll strengthen the brethren. We'll say, what can I do? Be faithful. I've said this before. Pastors, they come in. I mean, evangelists, they blow up. They blow in, blow up, and blow out. They're gone, right? But it's the faithful person in the pew that remains steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord that strengthens the brethren. It is the person who works 40 hours a week and sometimes 60 But he comes to church and he sees something in the yard. He picks it up. He doesn't complain. He just wants to do the work of God. He comes in and makes sure the the church is clean. And when he's on the list to clean, he cleans. But he cleans it unto the Lord. Because it's the Lord's house. When he mows the lawn, it's not just real quick. He does it like unto the Lord. Because God is watching. That strengthens the brethren. When somebody says, I can't do much, but what I can do, I'm going to do the best I can. Verb tense, keep on being steadfast. The third thing, and we only have five of them, not letting anyone else move you. So if I'm for myself, if I'm saying, well, I'm going to be steadfast, this is a focus on within. But now he's talking about something else. Look what it says. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, So that's talking about others then, not letting anybody else move you. I think the Bible is very clear in Acts chapter 20, verse number 24, where Paul said, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto me, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry, which I have received of the Lord, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So that is to be moved by any temptation, not be moved by any temptation, not to be moved by any tribulation, either from the faith and hope of the gospel or from obedience to the gospel. So let no fear of the cross of Christ make you weary of the yoke of Christ. And so when we go through difficult times, we must remain to be steadfast and unmovable And not allow anybody else to move you, because it says this in Jude 1, 4. For there were certain men that crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 12 says, these are spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about with winds, trees whose fruit withered, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Wow. Don't let anybody move you from what God has called you to do. Stay the course. Stay the course. Number four. And just think, I only have number five, and then I'll be all done. Number four, always engage in what's doing and doing God's will. Always engage with doing the will of God. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. What are you doing with your time? Are you being steadfast, and are you continuing to do what God wants you to do in your witnessing? 
in your servant leadership. Mark 10, 45 says, for even the son of man came not to minister unto, but to minister and to give his life for a, a ransom for many. That's the Lord Jesus Christ came to minister, not to be ministered unto. People want to be ministered unto. Christ repudiates status seeking. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4, 9, use hospitality one to another without grudging. So the measure of a man's greatness is not how many people serve him, but by how many people he serves. Serve the Lord through some place in the church. Find some place to serve him. But once you find that place, then continue on, whether it's through Sunday school the Sunday school is the church organized to fulfill the purpose of the church. Sunday school is absolutely essential to the growth of a church spiritually. I think it's important for us to serve the community. How can we do that? Continue in serving others. Did you know that there are single moms in our church that maybe want somebody to just go take her car and get the oil changed for her? I mean, think about it. I change the oil for my wife, and I make sure that the, the, the windshield wiper stuff is filled, and I make sure the air filled up in her tires, all that, because I want to serve her. But there are people in our church that can't do that. And so maybe we could actually serve that way. Maybe there's widows here. You know, you can count them. There's several of them here this morning that maybe they just might want you to come and say hi. They may not eat your chocolate chip cookies, but they wouldn't mind some. They would love to sit down with you and just pour you a cup of coffee. You know, we used to visit my great-grandma. She's about this tall. Her name was Nanny Hazel McCluskey. That's why the McCluskeys got their height from her. Chad McCluskey, who sings with the Ball Brothers, he's shorter than the rest of the guys. Some of the McCluskey, anyway, I want to say it. They're short. Hazel we used to go over there, and she was so happy to see us. We'd rake her yard, do all kinds. My, my dad was so good with this. Even his, my great-grandma on the other side. We'd go over there, and sometimes I'd say, why are we here? Dad says, you know what? They're not always going to be here, Dean, so we've got to help them. I remember being with Nanny, and she'd say, oh, before you go, Dean. And she always put grapes in a little plastic bag and maybe a banana in there. Maybe a little piece of sugar-free candy or something, you know. If it's around Christmas, that's that hard stuff. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, thank you, Nanny. I just wanted to give you a little gift before you went. Did what she could. You know what? That's how you can serve other people. It's not how many people serve you. It's how many people you serve. How can I do that? Continue to take shut-ins, bulletins, the directories. Some of them coming to me and saying, can I take so-and-so? Absolutely. Here's a list. Go take care of it, because I can't get to them. Serve, dear friend. Stay, stay steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. The trumpet could, could actually blare before I finish the message. And how has your service been going? Have you been serving yourself? Have you been thinking about you, 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 you? That is so distasteful for a Christian. Yes. You must think about others. And you must not try to have status-seeking. It makes the Lord want to vomit. And his servants also. How can I serve him in personal testimony? You can actually abound in the work of the Lord by giving your testimony to others. You know what Christ has done for you. Tell someone else. And having a loving separation. I think we should be separate still. I don't like this mixing up with the world and thinking that Hollywood can be used in the Christian eye. I, I, the secular and the sacred are two different things. It used to be that the sacred was over here and the, and, and the secular was over here used to, years ago. And preachers would preach against the secular things constantly and say, if you're sacred, stay away from there. Remember, they used to do that. Nowadays, oh, it's okay to go to a film, man. You know, it's, all part, it's all about being cool, man. You met another and <laughs> sinful culture from a contemporary theological compromise. It's happening all over. God is not done with Israel, and I will not accept that theology yes. because it messes with my eschatology. It's important for us to stay firm in the scriptures from an imbalanced independent Baptist church. Be careful. 
Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourself from every brother that walks disorderly and not after the tradition which is received of us or the doctrines which are taught by us. Interesting. And then in striving together, unity. Limit your liberty to protect the unity. Write that down. You say, well, I have the liberty to do that. I, you know, and we live in the grace age. I can just wear whatever I want to wear. And by the way, we need another message on modesty, don't we? You don't have to get mad at me now. Get mad at me later. Christians don't need to be showing us your bodies. We don't want to see that when we come to church, especially. Dress modestly, please. For the sake of the next generation. So, in striving together in unity, limit your liberty to protect the unity. Unity does not come from a forced uniformity, by the way. It comes from the Holy Spirit. We have the Savior, the same Savior, the same doctor, and the same mission. And only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see or else be absent, I hear of your affairs that you stay steadfast and stand fast in one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Stay in the course lastly. So remember that your work is not in vain in the Lord. In other words, God keeps really good books. He knows what you've done for him. Isn't that wonderful? That you don't have to even keep good books concerning this. That God keeps them for you. Every good deed that you've ever done, every person that you've given the gospel, every service that you've allowed yourself to be involved in in the church, is written down in the books of heaven. God keeps records. Because there's not just the Lance Book of Life, but there are other books when we get to heaven. And I believe those books are the deeds that we did for other people. It's as simple as just giving them some money sometimes. I think it was a blessing to be able to help my uncle out a little more. Tried to help him at least. He served the Lord. But there are those that are just the, the simple person a person that would come here on a Sunday morning and maybe not even try to seek status, but just come. And they feel unworthy being here sometimes because they don't have really the clothes that maybe you have. And they don't feel like, well, why don't you reach out to them too and give them something a little. Encourage them. Someone wrote this. What you do to honor Christ shall receive a glorious and eternal reward. The certainty of the resurrection of the day of judgment and the retributions of eternity should lead all to make it their objective to learn and to do the will of God, hearkening daily to his voice, believing heartily his declarations and obeying cheerfully and perseveringly his commands. The Christian's service for Christ shall be certainly and transcendently rewarded by Christ in another world. His labor is infinite, and his reward is infinite. There is no more proportion between the Christian's labor and his reward that betwixt time and eternity. Oh, infinite glory, the reward of our poor laborer. I think of the little boy. Didn't have much. He just wanted to hear Jesus. Mom, will you make me a lunch? So she made him a lunch. By the way, moms love to make lunch for their children. My wife loves to make a lunch for me. I'm not her child. I'm her husband. I come to work, church. I come to work. I'll sit at my desk sometimes up to eight hours. You know, I should be out in the streets more, I know. But I was sitting in the office the other day and I opened up that lunch she gave me. I put it all out. I took a picture of it and I said, thank you for doing this for me. She says, well, I like doing it for you. 36 years and she still likes to make my lunch. A little boy takes that lunch and finds Jesus there on the hillside and sits down. The people get, got, got hungry and they thought, what are we going to do? We've got to feed One of the disciples said, there's a little boy out here. He's got a lunch. Why don't you go get it? Hey, son, can we use that lunch? You know what he could have said? No, it's mine. You know, little kids like to do that. Mine. 
I say it quicker, though, you know. He said, here, you use it. And what did Jesus do? He multiplied it. And he multiplied it. And he multiplied it. And there was enough to go around so everybody could eat. My little boy was like, you know what happened, Mom? She's saying, you got to stop making these stories. No, it really happened. And Jesus took care of it. He served and he did what he could. How are you doing? And you're serving the Lord. How are you doing being steadfast? In times like these, we certainly need an answer. In times like these, we need the Bible. Amen? But in times like these, we need to therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Yeah. We met this morning with the Sunday school teachers. We're back at it. They're serving the Lord. I hope that you would continue to understand what this message is all about. Yes, it's a difficult thing to deal with COVID-19, the coronavirus, and all the restrictions. But I'm not going to let that take me away from what I'm supposed to do and serve the Lord, serve him with gladness. Well, it's easy for you, Pastor, because you're full-time ministry. Oh, let's explain the full-time ministry thing, shouldn't we? We'll do it in another sermon sometime. But maybe that'll help you to understand that no matter what you do, do it unto the Lord. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe this morning you're sitting here and you don't realize that this was for you because you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. How can you stay steadfast in something you never believed in? Do you believe that Jesus Christ came? Do you believe that he was resurrected the third day? Do you believe that he was crucified? Say, yeah, I believe all of that. Now it's time to open up your heart and receive it. Lord, come into my life and save me. And then, from that point on, be steadfast, serving him with all of your heart. Maybe you're here this afternoon and you'd say, you know, I believe God has saved me. I believe he's given me something to do and I'm doing the best I can. But I needed that this morning because sometimes I'm, I get weary. Sometimes I, I want to quit. And I just need to keep going. Maybe that's you today. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to come forward. Well, can you do me a favor? Can you strengthen the brethren and the sisters by staying the course. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You say, Pastor, I've never accepted him. But I'd like to do that today. I'd like to open my heart, just like that old man did, and opened up his heart. I've never received him. It's like I had it in my head, but not in my heart, and now I need to open up the door of my heart today. Is there anyone like that would say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? I need Jesus in my heart. Anyone like that? Lift up your hand. Put it back down again. Then this, this message was for you, dear Christian. Maybe it's just to come and kneel at an old-fashioned altar. I don't know. But God is speaking to you. Would you please stand and no one looking around? Let's have an invitation. If God has worked with you and in you, why don't you come? I'm going to pray, and as soon as I'm done praying, the piano is going to play, and the invitation will begin at that time. And whatever the manner is that you're dealing with, whatever it is, whatever issue you have, take it to the Lord. Take it to the altar. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct in Jesus' name. Amen.
Maybe it's for church membership or baptism. You've been saved. If you've been baptized, why don't you come? Someone will take the scriptures and show you what it says concerning that. Maybe you just need to come and pray. One more stanza. Why don't you come? Just say, yes, Lord. Daryl, you want to make your way up here? I want you to close our service with a word of prayer. What a blessing. Tonight is the Lord's Supper night. It's the first uh, Sunday night of the month. Hard to believe it's already August. And, uh, you know, are the schools going to open or not? Anybody know? You know, they just just don't know what they're going to do, do they? You know, I I think they should open, don't you? Yes. Why do they take a poll on everything else except for that? You know, it would be a blessing if they would open, though. I think it would be the best for our country. Be praying that the Lord will have his way. You know, it just seems like uh, people are getting a little weary. But remember what the Bible says, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. So don't quit. Stay the course. Amen? Be back tonight at 6 o'clock. I have 4 o'clock soul winning, 5 o'clock deacons meeting, and 6 o'clock service tonight. We'll do the Lord's Supper. Looking forward to it. Make, make an appointment to be here tonight with God's people. It'll encourage your heart. And you at home, why don't you come meet with us tonight? It'd be a blessing to see you. Brother Darrell. Let's pray, Lord Jesus. We thank you for, for your word, Lord. We thank you for for the message we heard this morning, and we pray that we would uh, would remain strong, Lord, and uh, it's not my might nor my power, but by thy spirit, and Lord, that we would abide in you and and just seek to to strengthen what remains in our country, Lord, that we'd see a mighty revival now in, in the coming months and years, and uh, just pray that the people of God would stand up and uh, be counted for, and and I just pray that you bless us as we go out and strengthen us and bring us back tonight, Lord, that we can glorify you in the observance of the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.